If you've been around just for the last few weeks, we've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount. And we're calling the series, Who is Your King? Because the Sermon on the Mount is all about Jesus laying out a picture of what life is like if we treat him as if he is our king. And he touches on all kinds of different areas. Um, and you know, one, of, one of the privileges that I've got to have a few times while I've been here at LBF Church is I've got to do premarital counseling with, with a number of different couples. And it's a really fun and exciting thing to do because you get to meet with couples that are really excited about marriage. And so you get to talk through different things and try to help them set up with communication and, you know, and with finances and, and just different ways to approach life. So it's an exciting time, um, but it's also a time where one of the things that you get to see is you get to see how, how the, the biblical framework, the biblical worldview, what we embrace as Christians, just how much that is in stark contrast to what's normal in our world. So when you're talking about communication, you realize, all right, we, we've got to do some undoing from what's normal in our world versus what we think Jesus has called us to do and what should be normal for us. And that's true of communication and finances and parenting and all kinds of areas. But one of the areas where it's most obviously a sharp contrast is in the area of sex and our sex lives. So one of the things I ask, any couple that, that I meet with, one of the things that I ask, and this may be why people don't ask to do premarital counseling with me uh, as much, is at some point in the premarital counseling, I always ask them, are you sleeping together? And, uh, and you know, the, a, a lot of times they'll say yes. Um, and it's interesting because even within that yes, there are different yeses. There are different ways that people answer the question. Um, there are the people who answer the question, yes, um, which is understandable because they're in a pastor's office and they're like, all right, probably knows what, we probably know what he thinks about this. Uh, but then there's other people that they don't answer with, with that kind of yes. They just answer it with a very matter of fact, yeah, sort of no, no idea at all that this might be any kind of problem or this might be something that anybody would ever object to. Um, I remember one couple that this happened with, and, and it was clearly, it was so confusing, especially to the guy, that anybody would think that this was strange, that they were sleeping together. So, you know, partway through my, my little talk, as I'm talking afterwards, he was looking at me, and I, I can't remember exactly what he said, but it was something to the effect of, so you Christians are still holding on to that one? <laughs> like, you guys still, no sex outside of marriage? That's still a thing? Uh, because it felt so abnormal to him. And, and I feel bad because sometimes even for me, like it, it feels abnormal to me. I remember one couple that I was with, and if you know me, I, I don't like conflict. So when I ask this question, it's not because I'm like, I can't wait to get into people's business. I, it's pure obedience to God. Um, and so one couple, I was giving myself the mental pep talk. It's going to be all right. Just go ahead and ask them and whatever happens. And, uh, and so I asked, are, are you two sleeping together? And they said, well, no, we're waiting for marriage. And I was just, oh, Oh, that's so wonderful. And I was so, I was so excited because it was a countercultural choice. But then on the other hand, I was so sad that I was so surprised. I mean, this is an area, I think in some ways this goes without saying, the, the biblical conception of sex being something that is for marriage and for marriage alone is not the norm for our culture. It's an area where we come into sharp contrast with that. And as I already shared, I'm uncomfortable getting into conversations with people about things like that. You know who's not uncomfortable with those conversations? Jesus is not at all uncomfortable with trampling into the areas of our personal life. 
You've probably already noticed this through the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is not uncomfortable at all with the idea of bringing up things that usually make us uncomfortable. Before we're done with the Sermon on the Mount, he's going to talk a lot about money. He's going to talk about prayer. He's going to talk about, uh, well, last week we talked about kind of anger and violence. This week we're going to be talking about sex. He, He talks about all kinds of different areas that normally make us uncomfortable. But Jesus believes that if we're going to treat him as the king, those areas are not off limits. We bow the knee to him in every area of our lives. And what what we're going to see this week, and this was something that we talked about a little bit last week with the passage where Jesus talked about murder and then talked about the internal reality of anger and spite towards others, is that for Jesus, the kind of transformation that he wants to bring in our lives is not just external, but it's internal. In fact, King Jesus transforms us not just in terms of our external behavior, but in terms of our internal reality. And when we talked last week, that had to do with the the external reality of murder and the internal reality of of spite. This week, as we talk about it, it's going to deal with the external reality of adultery and the internal reality of lust. Now, before we start walking through the passage, and if you have a Bible and you want to start getting to where we're going to be, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 30. Um, But but let me just say, obviously, this this is a sensitive, uncomfortable subject, so I want everybody to take a deep breath. Go ahead and let it out. With my sons, I have to tell them, let it out. Otherwise, they're like, what is he doing to me? Is he trying to choke me? So, And here's what I want to say. I have a desire that God would set us at ease enough to hear what it is that he wants to say through this passage. Um, now, at the same time, I cannot remotely promise you that there won't be anything said that won't make you uncomfortable. This message for, for some of us absolutely will make us uncomfortable and should make us uncomfortable. Now, the discomfort is not the ultimate goal. The Apostle Paul talks about a grief that leads us to repentance. So if you're made uncomfortable by what Jesus talks about or by the things that I say about what Jesus talks about, the whole point is not just to make you feel bad about yourself or to bring guilt or shame or discomfort into your life. The whole point is to bring us all to the redeeming care of Jesus and the transformation that he intends to bring in our lives. If you're dealing with shame, if you're like, I don't want to talk about this because I'm dealing with shame in my past or, or shame in my present, the way that we deal with shame as Christians is not by saying, let's just not talk about it. It's by saying, let's talk about it and let's remember that Jesus came and died to remove it. We don't get rid of shame by ignoring the things we've done wrong. We get rid of shame by the fact that Jesus carries our shame for us. So I'm prayerfully hopeful as we walk forward in this that we can approach this and say, God has something for us this morning and we don't want to shut that off because of our own discomfort. But it's a pretty simple passage that we're going to walk through, just four verses, and it's kind of two parts. In the first two verses, what Jesus talks about is sort of where adultery begins. If we're talking about the whole idea of adultery, where does it start? How does it get going? And then the second thing that he's going to talk about in verses 29 and 30 is how is it fought and how is it fought effectively? How do we wage war against this thing that Jesus is calling us away from? And so we start with verses 27 and 28 where he talks about how it begins. And basically he says, adultery begins not physically, but spiritually. When we think of adultery, we think of an outward physical act, but there's a spiritual reality that's at the core of it. So he says this starting in verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. 
And this verse would have been no surprise to any Jewish person listening to Jesus during this time. This not only was a command in the Old Testament, it made the top 10. This made the 10 commandments, commandment number seven. Everybody's familiar with it. Nobody's surprised that there's a rule against this. Um, Just to clarify, so, so adultery is one of many sexual sins that falls under the broad umbrella of sexual immorality, which would just cover any sexual intercourse outside of marriage. And adultery is specifically about sexual intercourse with a married person having sex with somebody else or an unmarried person having sex with a married person. So it specifically zeroes in on marriage. And, and so, I, but, but I wanted to say as we go through this, Jesus is not simply trying to isolate that it's wrong to do certain things while you're married. He's talking broadly about sexual immorality. He zeroes in on marriage or, or on adultery, first of all, because it's in the Ten Commandments. It's a very familiar command, but also because it points us back towards the reality that that's the proper use of sex. The proper use of sex is within marriage. This is the place for which God created sex. And so adultery especially hits at the heart of that because of how destructive it is within marriage. Now, here's the deal. A lot of the Jewish people listening to this probably could have listened to it and said, yeah, we know, we know we're not supposed to commit adultery and we're good. We haven't. We can move forward. We we haven't gone through. I haven't done that physical act, so I'm good. I'm good with this command. Jesus, though, as he does all throughout the Sermon on the Mount, is going to point us towards a deeper reality. And, you know, there's something that that was true of the Jewish people and is often true of us. Um, And that's that you've probably heard of the idea of legalism. And legalism is a way basically of describing um, the idea that we get to God by following the rules. So we get a whole bunch of rules, and if we follow the rules right, then God is good with us, and things are all good, and we get to heaven, and we're saved. All all those things are true. So we, we get the rules, and we follow the rules, and then we get to God. And a lot of times when legalism is ruling in our lives or in our society, what we end up getting is a whole bunch more rules. And so the Jewish people had a whole bunch of rules. But here's the flip side. The other side to legalism is not simply that you get a whole bunch more rules. It's that you figure out what the rule is, and then you decide that anything not covered by the rules is now okay. Because if the rules are all that matters, anything not covered by the rules is totally fine. So what Jesus is going to point towards is not just, you've heard this rule, but I'm going to give you a new rule. What he's going to point towards is, you've heard the rule, but some of you are ignoring the spirit behind the letter. Some of you are are ignoring God's intention behind this, and so you're asking the question, how much can I get away with before it's technically sin? Jesus says, all right, I'm going to start you just by reminding you, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And you can just imagine the Jewish men listening to it, thinking, I'm good, and then suddenly thinking, oh boy, this is a whole different level. And and again, please don't misunderstand, Jesus isn't saying, all right, you used to have the rule about adultery, now I'm giving you a new, totally separate rule about lust. These are not separate rules. These are all going together. And for, for one thing, as we'll talk about, what he's saying is, you never have this without this. Sometimes you have lust, Without the physical act of adultery, you never have the physical act of adultery without lust coming first. So in part, Jesus is tying the two together. He's saying you never get to this point, you never get into the bedroom with that other person without having first thought about it and fantasized about it in your head. You got there because of here. Um, Now now let me just try to break this down because what what I want to do in talking about lust, 
Um, and throughout this passage, I don't want to minimize what Jesus is saying because he's saying some shocking things, but I want us to bring clarity. So, so we'll, we'll talk about a couple things that lust is not. Lust is not noticing that another person is attractive. That's just normal. You notice that somebody else is attractive. And, and by the way, you can see in the passage, Jesus, he says this really from the male perspective, a man looking lustfully at a woman. Uh, I do believe that, that it works the other way as well, even though I think it's, we all kind of know this is a bigger issue for men than for women. This is, this is a massive issue for men. It's also an issue for women. It, it tends to come in different ways. So everything that he's talking about here, I believe, is applicable to women as well. Um, in fact, some of you have probably heard this statistic, but currently about 25% of the pornography that's accessed on the internet is accessed by women. So this isn't just a men's issue. Um, and on top of that, it, it tends to be a little bit different um, f- between men and women. You know, we, we as men, we tend to be pretty simple creatures. So we're like, all I need is an image. All I need is an image and I'm good to go. And with women, a lot of times it's more story. Right? There's a scenario or there's a story. And that's why kind of the, the stereotype of the trashy romance novel. It's like, all right, that, that's kind of a different way of getting there. But the whole point is not just that you see a person, man or woman, that you see a person and you're attracted to them. And then Jesus says, all right, you've already sinned. It's not being attracted to a person. In fact, it's not even being sort of floored by how good looking a person is. There are some people that are just strikingly good looking. It's like when you see a really tall person, sometimes you're just like, wow, guy's really tall. Or when you see somebody, you know, with a really cool beard and you're like, ah, guy has a really cool beard. And you just, sometimes there's just striking things. There are some people in our society that it's just like, oh, wow, that person is just strikingly good looking. Stop waving your hand, Don. Um, <laughs> We all see you. <laughs> but, but so it's, it's, it's not, Jesus isn't saying, oh, if you see somebody and you're just like, whoa, she's amazingly good looking. That, that's not necessarily a problem. What happens, lust, is when we transfer over from noticing someone to looking at somebody for the purpose of our own sexual arousal or sexual gratification. In fact, uh, in, in his commentary on Matthew, N.T. Wright says this, he says, the look to desire is about intentionally fostering sexual temptation and arousal through the imagination. Jesus is against sexual fantasizing with an inappropriate person. So again, you want to talk about countercultural. It is countercultural in the United States to say sex is only for marriage. But now we're taking it to a whole different level. We're saying even fantasizing about that other person is something that Jesus says that's wrong, that's sinful, that's adultery of the heart. And there's a couple reasons why this is so significant. And one of the reasons is is what I alluded to earlier. Jesus is, is pointing us towards just the silliness of saying, well, I can have a big world of this, of this lust, without having it stretch over into other areas of my life and either manifest itself physically or at the very least manifested in a way that, uh, that as men, we're looking at women very differently. We're looking at women as objects of our sexual desire. We're dehumanizing each other. It, It obviously crosses over. In fact, you see this, King David, you know, in the Old Testament, one of the greatest kings and and one of the greatest men of God in the Old Testament, but also famously committed adultery with Bathsheba. And if you read the story, and it's actually, the the story is haunting. If you go back and read in 2 Samuel 11 and 12, Um, but the whole story starts with his men are off to war. He's up on a rooftop and he looks out and he sees a beautiful woman. And some of us might think, well, why couldn't he just leave it at that? 
Right? Can he just say, ah, I see a beautiful woman, I'm moving on with my life. But he didn't move on from that. He saw a beautiful woman and he had her brought to him so that he could have an affair with her. Now, now here's part of what's striking about this. There are many of us that would just think, well, I've never done that. You know, I, I've just, I've, I've noticed and maybe I've thought about it and maybe I've let my mind run wild, but I've never done that. And you just got to ask yourself, why did David do it? And I think a big reason why David do it, did it is because he could. David looked and he said, well, I'm the king. I can do what I want. I can have a dispatch of soldiers go to her house and bring her to me and I can do what I want. And then I'll cover it up later if her husband finds out he had power and that allowed him a greater opportunity to act on that. And so here's the point. I said this last week when it came to, to sort of anger and murder. Um, if you're looking at it and you're saying, the only reason I am not acting out in violence against this person is because I don't have the opportunity or I don't want to deal with the consequences, then you've got a problem in your heart you need to deal with. If you're looking at your life and saying, the only reason why I'm not acting out sexually is because I don't have the opportunities that I want and I don't want to deal with the consequences, you've got a problem in your heart that you need to deal with. You can look at David and be like, why did he take that next step? But maybe if you were in that position where you could get away with it, you would take that next step also. Jesus says, we got to get right to the heart of the matter. The heart is where this begins. The heart is where this manifests itself. Now, a couple of things on that. A couple of questions on this. So, so, so I'll tell you the two questions now. Question number one, is this realistic? Question number two, is this possible? So question number one, all right, is this even realistic? I mean, maybe some of you are like, ah, I've, I've got kids um, and they're older and they're dating now and I don't even know if I feel like it's realistic to tell them to save sex for marriage, let alone to, to fight against lust and to fight against uh, fantasizing. Is this even realistic? And what I want to say is what is less realistic than, than fighting against lust is the idea that we would have this wild life of fantasy and that it wouldn't affect the rest of our lives. That is naive. That is not realistic. Jesus is being entirely realistic here, saying this is, this is really important. This isn't an isolated area of our lives. We need to fight against this. So it is realistic. And the second question is just, all right, maybe it's realistic. Maybe it would be good to do. But is it even possible? Could I even do it? And my answer is, no, you can't do it. This is too much for you. This is too much to ask. This is too much to do. But it's not too much for the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of every believer. You will not be able to accomplish this in your own strength. It's just too much. It's too big a burden to bear. But God has given every believer in Jesus the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit who raised Jesus up from the dead lives in you. He can lead you in victory in this area. So if you're looking at it and say, why even try? It's inevitable. I'm just going to end up doing the same things I've always done. That's not true. The Holy Spirit loves to bring transformation. And Jesus wouldn't be talking about this if he wasn't expecting us to be led in that transformative new life. And here's something just to know in all of this. Jesus, Jesus came and he died for our sins so that he would be king. Now, Jesus didn't become king so that then he could take all the people that he died for their sins and grind them under his foot with new rules that were oppressive for them. That is not Jesus' purpose. Jesus' purpose is to bring joy and freedom and newness of life. This command is not for your deprivation. This command is for your freedom.
So Jesus says, all right, here's the deal. If we're going to talk about adultery, let's not just talk about it as something external. Let's talk about the internal reality in our hearts. Let's talk about the fact that it doesn't begin in the bedroom. It begins in the mind. It begins in the heart. And and if you're at the point right now of saying, all right, I I believe that that that's important. And and so lust is significant. It's, It's not something to shrug your shoulders at. Lust should be fought. How do we fight it? And that's what Jesus talks about in verses 29 and 30. And in short, what he says is adultery is fought not casually, but passionately. You are not going to win this battle if you just kind of shrug your shoulders and say, I'll give it a try. You are going to find freedom in this if you take this with the greatest seriousness. So Jesus says two really shocking things in verses 29 and 30. Verse 29 He says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And similarly, in verse 30, I'm having a little bit of trouble with the remote. I don't know if you could uh, advance that for us. In verse 30, he says, and if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. So, everybody good? In Jesus' name, amen. (laughs) All right, so (laughs) just say this, and I think many of you know this, Jesus is speaking hyperbolically here. He's he's exaggerating, he's using strong language, um, but but he he is not asking for literal self-mutilation when it comes to our bodies. So we're like, all right, all right, that's the starting point. So he doesn't mean that, that's good, that's a little bit of a relief. So what does he mean? And and what he does mean is pretty clear. What he means is that you take this so seriously that you are willing to take extreme measures and remove things from your life that are leading you into temptation. Um, in, In his commentary on this, Ken Hughes says this. He says, Jesus is telling us that anything that stands between us and him must be ruthlessly, even savagely torn out or cut off and thrown away. Drastic measures are always appropriate in order to protect one's spiritual health. Halfway measures will never do the job. How this strikes against our desire to seek the middle road and never be too extreme either way. But it is Christ's advice, and some of us need to take some extra measures today. Jesus is going to call us to action on this. And so even, even, all right, so we're talking about this. All right, this is a spiritual battle. This is not just a physical battle. That said, if you take that and say, well, well, I guess all I can do is go home and just pray that God helps me to never do this again. I would say, yeah, go home, pray that God will lead you in this. But then there are things to do. There's this great story in, in Joshua chapter three, when the Israelites are starting to come into the promised land and God leads them through a sort of second crossing of the Red Sea, but this time it's with the Jordan River. And so they're all going to cross the Jordan River, which is at flood stages during that time. And what God tells Joshua, and then what Joshua tells the people is, here's how this is going to work. Unlike the Red Sea, where Moses stood out with his staff out, and then when the waters were pushed back, that's when you started walking. He says, you are going to start walking while the waters are still there. You're going to step out. You're going to put your foot into the water, trusting that God will stop the waters up and you'll make it through on dry ground. And it wasn't until the first men stepped into the water that God stopped the water up. God is not telling you, go solve this problem. 
But God is telling you, take the steps to solve this problem and trust that I will make it worth your while. Take bold steps of faith. And before, I do want to get into to some examples of, all right, well, well, if we're not supposed to pluck out our eye, what, what is he talking about? What would be examples? But before that, I don't want to pass over the stakes that Jesus talks about here. He says, these are big stakes. He says, if you don't do this, um, you might end up stumbling and you might end up in hell. And this can be really confusing because you can think, all right, well, wait a second. I'm a Christian. Um, I, I've given my life to Jesus. Is Jesus now saying that if I lust too much, that God is going to take away my salvation? He's going to kick me out of the family saying, no more heaven for you. That's not what Jesus is saying, but, but this is a similar, this is a parallel to last week. Some of you will remember this from last week that Jesus says, uh, it's, it's not only if you murder that, you might be in, uh, that you'll be in danger of judgment, but if you hate somebody in your heart, if you're calling them names, if you're disregarding them, you are in danger of hell. And what he wasn't saying is, if you hate somebody too much, God's going to take away your salvation. What he was saying is, anybody who ever goes to hell, goes to hell because they reject Jesus. And there are some people who reject Jesus specifically because they're unwilling to bow the knee to him in the area of grace and forgiveness towards others, and they want to hold on to their anger. And in a similar way, what Jesus is saying here is, some people end up in hell because they don't want to give up their lust. In fact, some people end up in hell because they initially seemed to respond to the gospel, but then lust had such a huge part in their lives that they ended up abandoning the faith. I said, why would anybody abandon the faith? Well, Kent Hughes again gets at this in his commentary. He says, when one's willful conduct contradicts one's theology, either the conduct or the theology must change. So here's his point. Jesus is making the warning. You know what? You might come to a point where you're like, hey, I love Jesus, and I know what Jesus has said about this area. I'm supposed to fight against lust, and that lust is, is, is something that, that, that's wicked and that's destructive. I'm supposed to fight against it. And yet, I'm pretty much totally given over to it. So, so I've got a choice. Something's got to change. And, and thankfully, that there are some people that get to the point of saying, what's going to change is the lust. I'm going to fight against this. I'm going to take active steps. And part of why we take those active steps, in fact, I, I remember the, the pastor of the church that I was growing up at used to say this, and I, I found it to be very true. Um, he said, the most miserable person in the world is not the non-Christian. The most miserable person in the world is the Christian who is in habitual sin because they can't enjoy God and they can't enjoy their sin. So you might get to the point of saying, this is so miserable. It's so miserable to live both of these ways. One of them's got to go. And God willing, you'll look at the lust and be like, that's what's going to go. But some people are going to look at Jesus and say, it seems easier to get rid of this than to get rid of this. So you might come to the point of saying, well, has God really said that? Is Jesus really who he said he is? Do I really need to believe all this stuff? I think I'm a good enough person. Jesus is saying, the stakes are high. Fight against this and fight against this passionately because your soul is at stake here. You might end up lost because you're unwilling to fight the battle against lust. So now let, let's get into the practicality. All right, so, so he's not calling us to gouge out our eyes literally. But what he is saying is, if there's something in your life that's leading you towards sin, that's facilitating sin, get rid of it. If there's a certain restaurant and you go to that restaurant because you know the waitresses are dressed kind of in a way that, that arouses you and you go there kind of because of that, all right, don't go to that restaurant anymore. Cut that restaurant out of your life. 
If there's a certain person in your office that you find yourself kind of figuring out a way to be around them because they flirt with you and they make you feel great about yourself, figure out a way to be away from that person. Leave the job if that's what it takes. For some of you, you might say, all right, there's a danger because there's old boyfriends or old girlfriends that I connect with on Facebook. And I'm tempted to sort of go down that road, at least as far as fantasies go. You know what? Get rid of Facebook. I know that sounds extreme, (laughs) but people lived for centuries without Facebook. So for some of us, obviously, pornography is, is in our culture, um, the, the area where this is most rampant, internet pornography. So look at that. If you're saying, all right, that, that's the area where I'm being caused to stumble, then you got to figure that out. You got to say, all right, well, what does that take? Is that some kind of internet filter? Um, is that some kind of internet accountability? Which it almost certainly is. Even if you have a filter, you, you got to say, all right, maybe the biggest step here of you to take the extreme measure is to say, I need to bring somebody else into this battle. I need to not fight it alone. So I'm going to talk to my life group leader, or I'm going to talk to one of the pastors, or I'm going to call the church and sign up to to go through life care, which is kind of a a, a thing where you meet with somebody for 10 weeks and they start walking you through the different areas where you're stuck in your life. You say, I'm going to take a bold step. I'm going to bring somebody else into this battle because I'm not successfully fighting this battle alone. And in any of these areas, if you're saying, well, that's kind of extreme, like limiting my internet access or, or getting rid of Facebook or stopping going to that restaurant, that, that's kind of extreme. Right? I don't want to stop watching. Do I really have to stop watching that TV show just because of this? And you just got to pause and ask yourself, do you love that TV show so much that you're willing to risk your eternity for it? Do you love Facebook so much that you're willing to risk destructiveness in your life and in your marriage because of it? Are you willing to take the risk of what might happen in your life if you don't have accountability or you don't have somebody walking with you in this issue? If you are stuck in this right now, what what I want you to know is if, if you're stuck in this and you end up talking to your life group leader, talking to one of the pastors, getting in a life care situation, I promise you, you will not experience condemnation from that person. You may experience very straightforward conversation. In fact, you should. You will not experience condemnation from that person. You'll experience somebody who is willing to walk with you and is going to be fighting for your victory in it. Jesus says, Take extreme measures because your soul is, this is heaven and hell. This is life and death. This is the destruction of your marriage versus the success of your marriage. The stakes are large. And part of why I, I don't want to miss this because this passage can seem kind of negative, just like that he's saying, well, we'll fight against lust because of all the bad things that might happen. And that's totally legitimate. And in fact, tonight we're going to do a whole deeper event about the fear of the Lord. It really goes along with that, that theme. The fear of the Lord is a legitimate motive to keep us from sin. And at the same time, there's something. Jesus says almost this exact same thing. The whole idea of cut off your hand in, in Matthew 18, he says, cut off your hand or cut off your foot if they're causing you to stumble. Um, but he adds something in here that's not in Matthew 5, but I think still reading back into it, it's, it's the same concept. He says, it would be better for you to enter into life mutilated than to enter into hell with your whole body. And that with, what that reminds us of is when Jesus is calling us to fight against lust and to fight against sexual immorality, he's not just saying, fight against it because a bunch of bad things might happen. He's saying, fight against it because a bunch of bad things might happen and because a bunch of good things won't happen if you're stuck. You're going to be missing out. 
You're going to be missing out on experiencing your walk with God. You're going to be missing out on experiencing the joy and the freedom that Jesus came to bring. About 15 years ago, um, I, I didn't know it, but I needed glasses. Um, I thought I was fine. I thought Karina and I had moved up to Oregon. I just thought Oregon was darker than California. So I was, I was in denial. And uh, so I went to the optometrist and he did some tests. Um, and then he took a pair of glasses and he uh, had me put them on. Um, and then with the glasses on, he said, all right, now look across the street and you see that building over there? And I said, yeah. And he said, um, you see the, the numbers, the address that's there at the top of the building? And I said, yes. And he said, go ahead and read them. Um, and it was easy. It was like, yeah, 7945, there they are. And they said, now take off the glasses. And when I took off the glasses, not only could I not read those numbers, I didn't know there were numbers over there. <laughs> I needed glasses. And here's the point. I didn't know what I was missing. You might be in a point right now where you don't know what you're missing. You don't know the kind of joy and the kind of peace you can have in your relationship with God. You don't know what he's saying to you because you've shut your ears to him because you don't want to hear the conviction. You may be missing out on friendships that are going to be so rich. You may be missing out on closeness with your spouse that you never thought possible. Jesus is not just warning us against the destruction of this. He is. But he also is warning us about what we will miss if we're unwilling to take the extreme steps. You know, when we think of adultery, it's easy for us to just think, well, that, that's a marriage issue. That's a, an issue between a man and his wife and, and a woman and her husband. That's, that's about faithfulness to your spouse. And Jesus certainly calls us to that. He calls us to a high view of marriage and he calls us to faithfulness to our spouse. Before we're married, while we're married, he, he calls us to that kind of faithfulness. But what he points us towards in this passage is that faithfulness to our spouse flows out of faithfulness to our king. The big point here is not that Jesus says, your spouse is worth the fight. What he says is, I am worth the fight. Your king is worth the fight. Now your spouse, because of what your king is saying, your spouse is worth the fight because Jesus says that he or she is worth the fight. But he says, ultimately, this is a spiritual issue. When this comes down to it, you, you don't fight against lust because you might get caught you fight against lust because it blinds you from what God wants to do in your life. It brings destruction. It brings pain. It hurts our relationships with one another. It leads towards more sin. And it makes us spiritually dull towards others. So what I want to say is this, is as we think about the steps that we want to take. Um, and and the, there's several things. First of all, I'll say some of you may need to have a conversation with somebody before you leave today. You may just need to strike while the iron's hot and say, you know what, this describes me. I'm stuck here. I don't want to be stuck. Um, I believe that there's a, men and women, but I'll just say specifically, I, I believe that there's men at this church um, who are stuck in pornography and not because they're shaking their fist at God and saying, I don't care, but because you just don't think there's any other way. You don't think that victory is available. Victory is available. God is strong enough. There are men at this church right now who are getting freedom in this area. So if you say it's just inevitable, maybe you need to have a conversation before you leave today. Come and find one of us. Come and find somebody to pray with. Come and find one of the pastors. Don't leave without at the very least putting a stake in the ground and saying, I want to fight this. I'm at least going to tell you so that I know I'll take next steps. But for those of you that are saying, I'm not sure I'm going to have the conversation right here because maybe somebody would see me and they'll assume something and I, I'm just not quite ready to do it. What I want to challenge you to do is to say, take some tangible step within 48 hours. 
before lunchtime on Tuesday, make that call to Chantel and get a life care partner. Make the call and get a counselor. Talk to your best friend. Get the process going. Don't wait. Take the extreme measure. And again, a lot of it's going to be talking to another person. You might just say, Facebook account, done. That restaurant, not going there. That TV show, deleted from my Netflix queue. I'm just, I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm going to take this seriously. I'd rather err on the side of taking it more seriously than taking it too casually. This ultimately is a spiritual battle. And God wants us to see it, not primarily even in terms of our relationships with others, but in terms of our relationship with him. So let's go to prayer right now together. Father, Sometimes it can be daunting that, um, that you invade areas like this that feel very personal to us. But we thank you that you don't want just a distant connection to us. You don't want just a, a relationship with us that, um, that has to do with signing on paper. You want a relationship with us that's, that's close, that's connected. You want a relationship with us where we know you and you know us and we experience the closeness and the joy and the life that Jesus came to bring. Father, I pray, um, I pray for anyone here who, who has lost hope that they could ever experience that kind of closeness with you because of guilt over the past or because of shame over the present. Father, I pray that you give them hope that there's better days ahead. I pray that you give them hope that there's victory to be had. Father, I pray that you lead us all in this. Father, I pray for those right now um, who, are, who are rejoicing because they're not struggling in this area. They're not experiencing failure. They're experiencing victory and freedom. I pray that you would use them to come alongside their brothers and sisters who are caught and that they would be a support to them. Father, we want to see you shine your light through us and we pray that you set us free from our lust, that you set us free from our, from our foolishness, in a way that shines the light to the world profoundly. And Father, I pray that you would move in the hearts of those who know there's a formal step to be taken and that you lead them with the courage and the conviction to do what you've called them to do. I pray this in the name of our Savior and our King, Jesus Christ. Amen.